1: Welcome, everybody, to the week 15 edition of the Grid Fantasy Football Show, the flagship edition of the Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Drew Dinkmeyer in the host chair alongside Ricky Sanders. We're here to break down this huge 13-game main slate. No teams on by at week 15, only three regular season weeks left. Lots of playoff implications for those of you playing season-long fantasy football. We'll break down the games from more of a DFS perspective. Ricky Sanders, you ready to go for all 13 games this week?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of games to choose from. I go to a a place for ice cream and you give me three flavors and I can't choose. So 13 games is quite a bit, but we're going to make some decisions this week. Looks like a fun one. And yeah, I think I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be to talk
1: this slate. Uh, Ricky Sanders, not a fan of Baskin Robbins. Too many flavors for him. (laughs) Uh, Let's get into this slate. Let's start. If you're familiar with the the format here, I'll break down kind of the injuries and the news and notes, kick it to Ricky. He'll give a little bit of a DFS take. I'll give the same, and we'll move forward. We'll go left to right for those of you uh, premium subscribers at Daily Road in terms of the games that they're listed in the optimizer. We'll start with Denver visiting Kansas City. Denver. You know, nearly double-digit underdogs here on the road. There are some injury notes to cover in this one. For the Broncos, Noah Font left last week's game after a huge performance in Houston, uh, a performance that we were on, frankly, and was one of the better things that we hit on uh, last week in terms of using Font with Houston Stacks. Not exactly the way we expected it to work, but it did work. Uh, Font (laughs) left last week's game with a hip injury and foot injuries. He did not practice on Wednesday. With the Broncos at this point in the season having nothing to play for, I'd be be cautious there. And uh, that, that injury really unlocks this whole game for me. So that injury is a big one for me. And then on the Chiefs' side, Damian Williams was back at practice. Uh, he's been battling that rib issue that's kept, kept him out a couple weeks. I think last week, if we saw anything, it's that Andy Reid and the Chiefs do not trust Lashawn McCoy, uh, McCoy and Darwin Thompson. They signed Spencer Ware off the street, and he led the team in snaps with a 40% snap rate. So I think these are two kind of big injuries in terms of the appeal of this game. Do they matter to you, Ricky, and are you it's weird to even ask are you interested in a chiefs game on this big 13 slit 13 game slate
3: yes i think last week we saw that the vulnerability of the denver defense patrick mahomes is a guy who you know you look at our value rankings he is not in the top 5 which i was a little surprised about but i'm wondering if when the ownership percentages comes out that means the public is not going to be on him as well And, I mean, a a 27.5 implied total, and you look at this Damian Williams thing, I think it's going to be a matter of pain tolerance is what they said when the injury happened. So, I mean, he's their most trusted back. Obviously, they're still going to run the ball and, and use their running backs regardless of the health of him. But I think you could see a healthy dose of Patrick Mahomes in the passing game, at least early on. And then the question is, how competitive does Denver stay? And I think if Denver stays competitive at all, you're going to want to run it back with someone. The question remains who, with Noah Fant being questionable, I think Cortland Sutton would be your, your other logical option. But you look at the you know the way that the Chiefs defense has worked this year, 30th in DVOA against the Rush. Drew, are you willing to go to Philip Lindsay as a tournament play this week? Because it's one of those things where you've got to stack. Do we run it back with the running back? We've said no a bunch of times this year, like a Derrick Henry slate. And Derrick Henry has been just fine on the other side of stacks. I think I'm okay with it. I wouldn't force it. It would be a boost scenario. But if I had, you know, ten percent Patrick Mahomes, I would want at least one or two lineups with Philip Lindsay as well, just to kind of diversify.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm torn on this. Uh, Lindsay's price tag on DraftKings is up to fifty six hundred now, so pretty tough, you know, ceiling performance to hit. He has slipped past Royce Freeman in terms of the usage over the last month or so, um, especially on the ground. But he's not picking up quite enough targets for me yet. And I don't know that I see Denver having multi-touchdown upside. So I'm probably out on Philip Lindsay at that price tag, which is why no fan makes so much of a difference for me in terms of this game. I'm comfortable with Kansas City, and I'm comfortable with the passing attack and investing in GPPs. I'm not going to be comfortable with Damian Williams, I don't think. Um, even though I think he's the only running back they've shown any level of confidence in, I just think first week back from a rib injury, they might, you know, they they'll probably go with a rotation. And I'm just out on investing in that at this point. Um I'm pretty much, you know, on my way to going broke on Sammy Watkins, so I'm pretty much out there. Uh Tyreek <laughs> Hill has a pretty good price tag. So I think, you know, you could go Mahomes to Tyree Kill. But if you were to bring it back, it would be Sutton and Fant that are the guys that are interesting to me. And Kansas City is a team that has generally been beat over the middle. You know, they're not a team that's giving up a ton on the outside. Uh, They're giving up kind of over the middle slot receivers, tight ends. Uh, We saw Julian Edelman have the big game last week. Um, And so Fant is kind of a big deal for me. So I think I'm not likely to play this game as much as I normally would a KC game unless Fant is healthy. And even then, it's probably going to be more like it's probably going to be more correlation plays on the skill players. I'm having a hard time double stacking the homes. I just don't see Denver kind of keeping this offensively competitive. Now, Denver's played really well with Drew Locke. Um, certainly, you could make the case for for Drew Locke, uh, given the way he played against Houston, but he's up at 5,700 now, and you know Sutton's a decent price tag at 5,900, but Fant is you know the key for me. So I, I really think that's that's the the decision point for me. I know Deshaun Hamilton played a bunch of snaps last week. Finally, got up into that like 70 80 percent range that we expected when they traded Emmanuel Sanders, and he will get some of those uh, slot snaps as well. But he's just been so unreliable and the target volume hasn't been there. So I can't really go there. So I'm kind of stuck on this game at least early in the week until the injuries settle. Um, We'll see what happens there. But my early inclination is I won't have a ton of stacks from this game. Next game on the docket, Seattle travels to Carolina, Seattle. Nearly a touchdown favorites on the road here. Obviously, Seattle lost Rashad Penny um, in that primetime game for the season. Um, you know qu- questionable about when he will be able to return next season with the ACL injury That's the big one there uh, Jadavian Clowney dealing with a core injury and an, an, and an illness mispractice on Wednesday along with Dwayne Brown So those are some, um, you know line uh, defensive and offensive line issues for Seattle in terms of the Panthers The big skill position player injury is, is Greg Olson who returned to practice in a limited capacity uh, Working his way back from a concussion. I just don't see any reason that they would rush Greg Olson back given it's kind of a lost season given this point in his career um given you know it's a concussion so i we're still leaning that he's not going to play which would make ian thomas a play Uh, but we'll we'll follow those two injuries i think you know the ian thomas one is a big one from a skill position player in terms of seattle you know jadevan clonny does make a big difference for their defense but i don't think it substantially impacts how you approach this game from a dfs perspective uh ricky are you in on seattle and carolina
3: I'm definitely in on Seattle. I'll tell you that much. I mean, Carolina has been the defense that I've been targeting running backs all year long, and now you don't have to worry about that scenario in which you have to guess between Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Without Rashad Penny, this is Chris Carson's backfield. You look at Carolina, they have been getting gashed by backs all year long, 32nd in in DVOA against the position. Devontae Freeman, a guy who has had... Kind of a down year. Last week, gets it done. Almost 20 DraftKings points against this defense. Chris Carson on an offense that, at least in this game, is more run-oriented. But just a team that I think is going to focus on him in general at 7,500 is a guy, and you can call me crazy here, that I am considering locking on this slate. I think that's a great price for a guy who I consider to be a true RB1 in this matchup. And I can't imagine you know, not going over the field on him. And it's to the point because I love this matchup so much and because he's the only guy in the backfield, I'm willing to, to take a shot on him. Other than that, I also have some interest in Jacob Hollister in this matchup, just looking at uh, Carolina here. Uh, I mean, you look, sorry, I'm on the other side. I have interest in Ian Thomas, assuming he's uh, the guy who's healthy so, uh, against Seattle. You look at, Seattle, they've quietly been a defense you could target the tight end against. Number two, like everyone talks about Arizona, but this defense, there's been a lot of familiar formidity against as well and Ian Thomas looked like he was clearly the guy in absence of Greg Olson so if you if you get him out again his price did go up something like $600 on DraftKings but he's still considered a cheap tight end in my book at $3,100 you are going to need him out but it's another defense where it's a good matchup and like the, the offense didn't change too much without Greg Olson they were still throwing to the same four guys so Ian Thomas is the tight end I like here I don't mind Hollister either by the way he's 3800 Thomas is the guy I wanted to focus on. So those are the the two guys in this game. I don't know if it's like a full game stack for me, though.
1: Yeah, Thomas, 80, 85% of the snaps last week, double-digit targets. Uh, we talked about his athletic profile being an intriguing one, and certainly the price tag didn't rise uh, too much. I mean, on FanDuel, on he went from 4000 to 5300 On DraftKings, he went from 2500 to 3100 Still very playable at those price tags. Agree with your take on Chris Carson. I think this is one of those games that, you know, Seattle's passing game kind of limping to the finish line here with Tyler Lock, Lockett battling some injuries and, this looks like a spot where Carolina has been so vulnerable against the run that CL can kind of come in and do what they usually want to do, which is just run the football a ton. So then Chris Carson, I think he'll be one of the most popular backs on the slate with good reason. CJ Procise was playing behind him last week, and Proceis came in and only uh, garnered 15 16% of the snaps, something like that. So it was very much the Chris Carson show, despite them playing from well behind a game script that you would think, um, if any, for CJ Procise to play would be the one. Um, and you know Jacob Hollister you mentioned uh, Ian Thomas uh, Hollister as well he's been seeing a a rising target share as well and he's pretty affordable 3,800 on DraftKings I think he could be in the mix for tournaments I never mind playing Russ in tournaments at kind of low ownership but the price tag is pretty full here the receiving core has been more difficult to hone in on given that they've been splitting snaps a little bit more and they've been playing like six guys pretty much every week like you know, Lockett was at 90% of snaps. Then Metcalf 80%, Josh Gordon 55, Malik Turner 22, David Moore 20. Last week, Jerome Brown 13. They're just starting to get away from like that kind of condensed uh, target share that we we like to see when we're stacking. So. Probably a Chris Carson and Carolina players back correlation type game for me. I think obviously Carolina still has this really condensed offense. DJ Moore, Ian Thomas, Christian McCaffrey obviously still all very much in play. I will note that Curtis Samuel's target share has been steadily declining, um, in part because they've just had a harder time trying to get the ball down the field. They've been having to, you know, they've been get, getting a lot of pressure in Kyle Allen's face, and he's been having to dump the ball off. Christian McCaffrey's been the beneficiary of that. Um, But I think, you know, Curtis Samuel, it looked like for a while that people were excited that he was going to be kind of a buy low candidate. But it seems like they're having trouble getting the ball to him um, as they've had some offensive line struggles. So he's still really cheap. Um, I think he's viable as a like low percentage owned MME play. But I like DJ Moore, Ian Thomas and Christian McCaffrey more in that offense right now. Uh, let's move to one of the biggest games of the week in terms of you know the NFL playoff uh, race. Houston travels to Tennessee. Yep. The two teams are tied for the uh, AFC South lead here. Huge total in this game. We are not used to. AFC South games leading the way in terms of total, but a 51 total here. Tennessee three-point favorites at home. In terms of injury issues, uh, Will Fuller was limited with a hamstring injury. Obviously, we have to pay attention to that one. That really shook up the slate last Sunday morning. Yep. It made, uh, made Kenny Stills, Duke Johnson, uh, and DeAndre Hopkins all pretty solid values. What ended up happening is Kike Kute played a ton and was on the field a ton and, and got a lot of targets. It was not Stills. Uh, but I think those are not things to pay attention to. On Tennessee side, Jerick Henry, Adam Humphreys uh, both sat out practice on Wednesday. Henry's got this nagging hamstring injury, but he still runs for 102 seemingly every week. So I, I don't <laughs> know what to do at this point with him. Um, and then they have a bunch of secondary uh, injury issues. LaShawn Sims, Kenny Figaro, uh, both limited participants in practice. I mentioned Adoree Jackson sat out. So a lot of secondary issues for Tennessee. We saw Houston's offense struggle a little bit about, against Denver and then get it going late. This game looks like it's, you know, one of the games on the slate that you would you would want to target, you know, two teams that have everything to play for a hefty total. It's in it. You know, it's in uh, fairly good weather conditions. It looks like in Tennessee, like doesn't look like a lot of wind, doesn't look like precipitation, just kind of cool temperatures. Um, it's weird that it's an AFC South game that we're targeting, Ricky, but I assume this is going to be one of the games you like on the slate.
3: Yeah, and Davis Maddock had one of my favorite tweets of the entire NFL season this past weekend. He tweeted, look, Ryan Tannehill is May- is Peyton Manning now. I don't make the rules, and <laughs> I don't think I could say it any better myself. Look, this is such a good matchup for him. Again, I mean, first of all, it's a battle between two of the bottom 10 DVOA passing defenses. Second of all, Drew, if I would have given you a quiz, well, and we weren't on this game, who would you have thought was the NFL leader by a wide margin in QB rating on play-action passes? Obviously, since we're talking about it here, the answer is Ryan Tannehill. He has a 137.5 QB rating on play-action passes because Derrick Henry partially has been so good and this defense is just susceptible to passers as a whole. Only five defenses have allowed more passing yards than the Texan, only four. Or have allowed more passing touchdowns. So I love this spot again for Ryan Tannehill. You talked about the big total in this game. I'm assuming that Vegas isn't just saying Derrick Henry is going to carry this offense. I mean, Ryan Tannehill has looked really good. He's been at least 28 DraftKings points in three of his last five games. And he's found a guy who's his looks like his number one receiver in A.J. Brown. Okay, so amongst receivers with at least 30 targets, true. Only Nicole Hardman and Adam Thielen have produced more fantasy points per target than Brown. So I think that has something to do with their play-action correlation, that he can just get open and he can be targeted downfield. But I love that duo again this week against a bad offense. I mean, you look at pro football focus, the guy covering him, has yielded 115-plus QB rating. He's already allowed six touchdowns, which is tied for sixth most in the league. Like, there's just so much to like about that side of the offense. That's before even talking about the fact that DeAndre Hopkins, if there's no Will Fuller, I looked at it, he's averaging 12.3 targets per game with Fuller out compared to 9.3 targets with him. So I think that's relevant for for Hopkins. But, I mean, it's a three-point spread and they're playing for their lives. So I think there's going to be a heavy dose in general. I think there's just a logical run back here. I love the Tennessee side of this. I love running it back with DeAndre Hopkins, but obviously playing from behind Watson against the bottom 10 defense as well. I think there's a lot of ways to go in this game. My favorite's a Tannehill stack, but I'm going to have to check the ownership percentages towards the end of the week to see if that holds strong between him and Watson. I just know I'm going to want one of them. I'm just going to want to be heavier on the one that has less exposure from the from the masses i think
1: yeah i'd like to just take a moment of silence for my best ball season <laughs> i somehow found a way to invest as heavily as possible in two wide receivers on top 10 offenses in the league uh Corey davis and kenny stills and will fuller uh to that to that extent and uh between the three of them i feel like i got one playable <laughs> week when will fuller uh went nuts uh so r.i.p uh best ball 2019 poor little out uh this game obviously has a lot of intrigue to it i think You know, one of the things that is is really behind the Ryan Tannehill resurgence here in Tennessee that I don't think is getting enough conversation, because I think all the conversation seems to flow around Derrick Henry and around Tannehill's play himself. And and credit Tannehill. He's played very well. Um, He's got basically Tyree Kill on his team with A.J. Brown. What A.J. Brown is doing is out of control. Um, As a rookie, he's got uh, almost 800 uh, receiving yards on just under 40 catches, uh, basically averaging 20 yards a catch, stretching the field incredibly well, been ridiculously efficient on a yards per target basis. Um, There's been a lot of really exciting rookie wide receivers to enter the league this season. I'm not sure any of them are as exciting as A.J. Brown. And um man, he he has been just incredible. So I think those Ryan Tannehill, AJ Brown stacks are certainly still in play. The volume is always gonna be a, a frustrating um a frustrating part of investing in this Tennessee offense because they're going to run want to run the ball so heavily and you're kind of relying on these big plays to keep keep chugging along. I think you can still kind of, you can still hope to get those. The secondary pieces are cheap enough with Corey Davis and Joe New Smith that I don't mind them as secondary pieces and stacks. Um, but for me, I think at this point, it's hard to imagine Ryan Tannehill having a ceiling game without AJ Brown being involved. And so I, I you know, all my Ryan Tannehill stacks, I think at this point are probably going to have AJ Brown in them. You do want to check on ownership and where ownership comes in on this game, because honestly, If this is a game where like Ryan Tannehill and AJ Brown are one of the highest owned combinations on the entire slate, you should probably consider going underweight, even though the game feels so good and it feels so likely that they're going to hit just because the volume is so inconsistent on this offense. And one week, the lack of volume is going to catch up. Like you can't just continue to be the most efficient offense in all football every single week. Um, We talk about this with regression kind of, you know, it always eventually hits Um, and I've felt it, really, really hard this year with Alvin Kamara. Not that I'm investing in Alvin Kamara to like, you know, get, you know, 10 yards per touch like he was his rookie year and scoring every fourth touch. Um, I just want him to be like at a normal level. But just in general, like regression hits. So just be aware of ownership on this game. Um, I'm more likely to play personally, I'm more likely to play the Houston side because I think it will come at slightly lower ownership um, than the Tennessee side just because the Houston side is more expensive um and for me that would be Deshaun Watson DeAndre Hopkins and I do think this is a good Duke Johnson spot if you think Tennessee can play from ahead I think it's a really sneaky Duke Johnson spot so I like this game there's a lot of different ways I think you can play it which is why even if like Tannehill and uh Brown are chalky um I still think there's ways that I can kind of find around it I think if Fuller plays it would actually be better not only for the game stack, but I think for suppressing ownership a little bit. I think if Fuller's out, you're going to get that really, really heavy ownership on DeAndre Hopkins once again, because everybody's going to have seen that that volume uh, that that we have uh, noted the last few weeks. So I think that's something to, to certainly pay attention to. Um, but yeah, this game is going to be on my radar. It's just a matter of how and that will ultimately come with more information as we get further out on the week in terms of uh, ownership. Let's move it over to Philadelphia visiting uh, Washington here. Eagles four and a half point, or four to four and a half point favorites. In terms of the injury situation, I mean, the Eagles side, it's basically anybody who is listed as a wide receiver on the team is hurt. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like we don't know who's going to be available yet, but Alshon Jeffries is done for the year. Uh, Nelson Aguilar didn't practice on, on Wednesday. It's kind of a big deal because... You know, they and, and JJ Arcega Whiteside, Arcega Whiteside was uh, dealt with a hamstring injury towards the end of the game. He was not listed on the injury report on Wednesday, so I think he's okay. But they were basically down to playing a, a receiving trio, I guess, of Arcega Whiteside, uh, Greg Ward, and Josh Perkins. Greg Ward is a converted quarterback, a converted wide receiver from quarterback in college. Josh Perkins is a tight end that's been converted to wide receiver. They just don't have much now. Washington's been a team you've been able to attack kind of all ways during the course of the season, but this could be a sloppy game and it's kind of indicated by this like under 40 total in terms of injuries on the Redskins side. They lost Darius Geis for the season. So now it's the Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson show Um, as it has been uh, for a while. We've got also wide receiver injuries with Trey Quinn and Paul Richardson. Uh, they were unable to participate in practice. These teams that have nothing to play for, you tend to see them get more conservative with injury situations towards the end of the year. There's a lot of offensive line issues uh, for the Redskins as well, with Donald Penn and Brandon Scherf uh, having limited or missed practices as well. Ricky, is this a game you're targeting from a DFS perspective?
3: Very minor bits and pieces of this game. I mean, this is a game that I think if I were doing a full MME run, I would want a little Terry McLaurin, even though that price tag, honestly, is not overly appealing with Dwayne Haskins throwing to him. I mean, it's just been so inconsistent, the quality of the targets, but still a 24% projected target market share for him. 5,300 is eh, but Philly is a team that has allowed the 1, 2, 3, most fantasy points to the position. They've already allowed 18 receiving touchdowns. So like, I think he's at least worth a sprinkle. And on the other side, I think the only guy that I feel good about is Zach Ertz. Like, I'm fine, depending on who's healthy, having a sprinkle here and there of their receivers. But Zach Ertz, uh, at least 11 targets in three of his last four games, you know he's getting the ball. That's, I think all the only selling point there is there there's no one really stretching the field you know to to kind of create open space for him so I think there will be a lot of defensive focus on him and the running backs continue to be a bit of a mess even though you could pretty much guarantee Miles Sanders for five targets a week it was you know Boston Scott week last week Uh, and I like to play guys who have the you know the touch upside to lead the backfield I mean sure you can get the long play but that's not what I love to rely on I think Miles Sanders is okay, but honestly, not excited about much in this game. Ricky, have you looked at the
1: prices on the Philadelphia players on DraftKings.com?
3: Greg Ward, your guy who you were just
1: bad mouthing, I Greg saw that Ward is three thousand. Yes, Eric <laughs> Whiteside is thirty three hundred. Nelson Aguilar is four thousand. Boston Scott is three thousand. Good God! They're gonna make me play a Philadelphia Eagle, Greg <laughs> Ward. Uh, they gave, they they decided to make his price. You know how they came up with this price tag? They they said you know for we're gonna make him priced one thousand dollars for every drop touchdown that he has on Monday Night Football, and they came up with three thousand. So that's where we're at with Greg Ward. He's three thousand dollars. I I don't I I'm gonna have to play some of these dudes. Um, Washington is just such a favorable matchup for opposing offenses. Philadelphia has to win football games to try to win the division here. So I think the, the pedal is going to be on the metal. Uh, the, the foot's going to be on the pedal for as, as long as they can. That doesn't really mean a lot for what their offense has been. Um, but I'm going to have to play these guys. Ertz is obviously the best play, but 6k at tight end is always difficult on DraftKings. Usually you're trying to find ways to, to generate a little salary relief. 6,700 on Fanduel I think is much better. Um, Dallas Goddard is, is in, in play as well. I think, cause he's going to be on the field a ton with these lack of receiving options. But man, the price tags on these on these Philadelphia secondary receivers. If Aguilor's out, I'm probably going to have to play some Greg Ward, and I'm not excited about it. Uh, <laughs> but he's 3K, and I'm probably going to have to. Miles Sanders at 6K, probably a pass for me. Um, Boston Scott is 3K. Eh, on a 13 game slate, I, I don't think I can go there. But, yeah, Greg Ward is probably going to have some attention for me on DraftKings specifically. On FanDuel, you know, he's 4,900, and you really do need touchdowns a lot more on FanDuel, and I'm I'm really not going to bet on that. Um, But I think at 3K on DraftKings, he'd be in play. All right, let's go to from a, uh, an NFC East rivalry to an NFC North rivalry as Chicago travels to Green Bay. Four and a half point underdogs on the road here. The Bears with just an 18 implied total. In terms of injuries, uh, Ben Bronicker and, and Taylor Gabriel, who've missed the last two games with concussions, were still unable to attend practice on Wednesday. Uh, so that doesn't look so good uh, after the longer layoff after a Thursday night game last week. Uh, Prince of Mukamura was able to go full, full with uh, his hamstring injury. Uh, Bobby Massey, the right tackle missed practice with an ankle injury. For the Packers, uh, Jimmy Graham, Kevin King, Geronimo Allison, and Billy Turner were all limited participants on Wednesday. Uh, Devontae Adams is on the injury report with a toe injury but was a full participant, so I don't think big injury issues for the Packers. Some for Chicago, which is, you know, oh, Javon Wim's mispracticed too, so their wide receiver core was kind of banged up. Um, We'll see where it goes. But like an 18 implied total for the Bears, not sure there's a lot of DFS intrigue there, even though uh, Trubisky has looked... I guess back over the last two weeks, are you buying on on the Chicago Bears offense, Ricky? No, no, I'm not.
3: I saw someone tweeting like adjusted yards per snap leaders in the NFL. Dead last is Mitch Trubisky. So no, I'm not, I'm not buying that an 18 implied total. If anything in this game, I think I would play players on the other side of this game. This Bears defense is depreciating as the season goes on. Last week was only the second week in which they allowed over 400 total yards to an opponent. And I know Dallas' offense is pretty good, so you know, you can kind of take it for what it's worth. The two teams they have given that much up to have been New Orleans and Dallas, and they also, Oakland, got close one week at 398. But I do believe that this defense as is not, at this point, as good as it was sold earlier in the year. The question then becomes, okay, so what do you do with that information and the backfield's kind of annoying. I know we got an Aaron Jones week last week. We now have Aaron Jones priced at 7300 and Jamal Williams priced at 4200 So DraftKings is trying to force you into playing Jamal Williams, which is not something that I'm overly interested in, which means that you go with Devontae Adams against a, a difficult pass defense. I really would prefer to, to, to target a running back. But I think Adams' price tag relative to this slate is the one that's got the most intrigue from me. It's just not the most exciting of games.
1: Yeah, I, um, I tell you, you know, I did the, the Buffalo Bills rant on the pod of like last week of knowing exactly, having followed them for a few years through Mike, knowing exactly what's going to happen. And I know exactly what's going on with Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears right now. What's happening is Mitchell Trubisky is going to play just well enough that the bears are going to consider that late like, they can they can continue down this path next year and we're just going to get locked into more years of complete mediocrity uh at the quarterback position i've seen this i've seen this happen way too much this was rex grossman this is like we, we've done this so i know exactly what's happening so it will all come crashing down soon enough but not enough to make the Bears move on, uh, that's my prediction on Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears. This game is almost a full stay away for me, honestly. I think Devontae Adams is playable. Uh, Aaron Jones, I don't think you can play at that price tag, even even if I think he can be successful. Like it's just a really thin play when you're splitting carries with, with Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams, you're going to need the passing down work to really pay off that 4200 tag in terms of any sort of like GPP winning upside. Like, yeah, he might ground out value, but when you're splitting carries with Aaron Jones, you're are going to turn 10 touches into you know, 20 DK points? Probably not. Um, and on the Bears side, I'm just not interested in investing, honestly, offensively. I don't think there's a lot that they match up well with the Packers. Packers are a pretty good secondary. Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller would be possible plays, but I'm not really in here. Um, so I, I'm probably going to say this is a full stay-away game for me. Let's move over to Tampa Bay visiting Detroit. Controlled conditions uh, in Uh in detroit here tampa bay three and a half point favorites on the road the bucks lost mike evans for the season with an achilles injury um Jameis winston was limited with right thumb and knee injuries ryan griffin ended up taking some first team snaps So we'll have to pay attention to that. I think that obviously shapes this game immensely Whether it's Jameis or uh, whether it's ryan griffin in terms of lions injuries. They placed marvin jones on injured reserve um so there's there's some issues there both scarborough was limited in practice with with a rib injury so this game it's controlled conditions is a decent total in the mid 40s there's a lot of injuries opening up a lot of targets i want to play this game i also want to see who the heck is going to be available um but generally tampa bay games have caught our attention this year ricky do they have your attention this week
3: yeah with the offenses condensing a little bit on both sides i think it does have my attention i mean I think most people, if they're going to be on full game stacks, will be on other games. And I think there's some stackability to this game. I mean, Jameis Winston has been a guy we've considered just using one pass catcher with because he focuses on guys so heavily in games where they go crazy that now he kind of has to do something like that with Chris Godwin. I mean... Justin Watson did see eight targets last week, which is a little bit of a, an, an eye-opener. You know, Brashad Perriman has been a, I don't know, I don't know how to describe him, a thing in this offense. He's been pretty consistent with his targets. And now O.J. Howard uh, kind of has a, a bit of a you know extended role. It looks like they're actually going to start targeting him, which finally, it only took 13 weeks. But I think the, the Jameis Winston, Chris Godwin, you know, duo has more than double-digit target upside, and I think Chris Godwin is a really, really strong play on this slate. Over a 25% uh, projected target market share over 31% of their receiving touchdowns. And so I think it's like the old Drew Dinkmeyer thought process is that even if it doesn't win you a tournament, I think it could bring you into some minimum cash type builds if Chris Godwin has as big of a week as I think he will. And on the other side, I think the logical runback is going to be Kenny Galladay, but I'm actually kind of excited about the prospects of Danny Amendola's volume going up as well at 4,100. And if you're talking about you know how to make game stacks that have a little bit of affordability – I think foregoing Kenny Gallaty for someone like Amendola, who now is projecting for over 20% of the target market share without Marvin Jones, he kind of moves up a notch on the totem pole. I think I have a ton of interest in that against the funnel to the pass sort of defense. There should be more volume. And what do you need from Danny Amendola to get you to, you know, uh, to value is volume.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is going to be an interesting one for me because first of all, Ryan Griffin is 4,300 on DraftKings. So if James Winston is unable to go, and I just saw a picture uh, pop up on Twitter of James Winston throwing tennis balls at practice on Thursday, um, <laughs> Ryan Griffin is 4,300 for a Tampa Bay quarterback um, in controlled conditions. He was played pretty well in the preseason, so I think he would certainly be in play. This game is going to be on my radar for sure. Um, Detroit, that's the trickier side for me because Tampa Bay, I feel confident Bruce Arians' offense is going to throw it around, and I feel like he would have confidence in Griffin or Winston to do so. I think if Winston plays, it's a little bit trickier just because there's that injury risk of him like leaving the game early. Uh, we saw that happen last week, and then he came back and kept firing touchdowns and interceptions like he does in the fourth quarter. Um, I think... On Detroit's side, you know that they want to run the ball and they want to kind of hide their quarterback, but they can't against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's run defense has been so effective. I don't expect Bo Scarborough to be super effective, so they're going to have to throw it. The concern for me is I don't trust David Blau enough to be like a high completion percentage quarterback that I'm super interested in Danny Amendola. I'm more interested in trying to find the big play, and that big play is Kenny Galladay. Um, the concern for me is where will the market share or uh, where will the public be on this in terms of ownership? He's very expensive. He's almost 8K on FanDuel. Um, but everybody's been wanting to play wide receivers against Tampa Bay all year long. And now you've got him without Marvin Jones. So I'm I'm very interested in tracking that. But I'm more interested in Galladay than Amandola for sure. I think Amandola's price tag is better on DraftKings and more viable there. Um, but in general, the way that I want to play this game is Tampa Bay stacks with one bring back on the Detroit side, and it's more likely going to be Gall- Galladay than Amandola in most of my builds. Um, very interested in not only Chris Godwin, who I think is underpriced for a possible, you know, real target hog type role where you could get 13, 15 type targets. Um, I think he's really underpriced, but I also think it's O.J. Howard season again. Like, I think we're back with O.J. Howard. I think they're going to split him out wide. I think they're going to use him more um, as a receiver. In the passing game, they're going to use those routes that stretch the field a little bit more because they use, remember, they use Godwin on all these like kind of intermediate routes and then Mike Evans was the guy stretching the field. They can still do that a little bit with Prashad Perryman, but O.J. Howard, 82% of the snaps the week before, 87% of the snaps last week. He's only 3,500. I'm in on him. Justin Watson is a guy that has a pretty good athletic profile um, and obviously got eight targets last week, so at 3,700 on DraftKings, I'd be pretty in on him. Perryman, I think, is a guy that you could, you know, take a shot on in GPP because his targets are going to be very far down the field and he is going to be utilized in the red zone because he has some size there I just don't like the price tags on either side he's 6400 on FanDuel, he's 4500 on DraftKings I don't love those price tags so for me, I'm looking at Jameis or Griffin whoever starts the quarterback stacked with two of, I think Godwin, Watson, Howard is my most likely play with a bringback from Detroit and I like this game quite a bit uh, it will be one of the games that I target this week Miami move, uh, moving on Miami travels to the New York Giants Patrick Laird comes to New York uh the Dolphins Giants game here the Dolphins are uh three and a half point underdogs Dolphins have a ton of injuries here um Alan Hearns was held out of practice due to an ankle and knee injury on Wednesday uh, Devonte Parker and Albert Wilson were limited with concussions I don't like I don't know who's I don't know who's left after those guys I think it's Isaiah Ford and then I real. I have no idea I have no idea who else is left. So it could be a week for you. Oh, I guess they have Matt Collins. They took him from Philadelphia. Like as if Philadelphia needed to get rid of receivers. Um on <laughs> New York on New York side of the ball, uh Daniel Jones was limited with an ankle injury. A decision on his status for Sunday won't be made till later in the week, so we'll have to track that one. Uh limited participants were also Brett Ellison and Evan Ingram and Golden Tate. Uh, obviously Brett Ellison and Evan Ingram have been missing games, so that would be a change. Um This game game is hard to talk about for me until we see how the injury situations uh, settle out outside of uh, our Laird and savior, Patrick, who played over 80% of snaps, got a decent size of the target share, got a bunch of the carries. Um, I think, you know, he's, he's a guy we can comfortably talk about this week.
3: Yeah, for the brand, I feel like I have to be on board with this Patrick Laird take especially if we get some of those receivers healthy, I feel like this Miami total is kind of low. So this is one of the games in the Optimizer, if you do get a Devontae Parker in, that I would probably bring them up to like 23 points because I think that Vegas would be low against this bad defense defense. And I think that would move Laird into even more lineups at 4,500, having been pretty much the workhorse last week. I mean, this is a guy who's almost identical in terms of uh, the target market share in the, you know, obviously in the passing game, it's targets. But it's Saquon Barkley and Saquon Barkley, 7,700. He's 4,500. YPT, they're pretty close as well. Uh, market share of receiving touchdowns is pretty close, so it's just a really good price for Patrick Laird on an offense that potentially could have no pass catchers. Like if those guys are out in this, and you want to just leave it at a twenty-one and a half total, you still got Patrick Laird as a top two overall value at the position there, and as long as he you know can either rack up the targets, which it looks like he's going to do, and or get some of the carries in the red zone. I don't see a complete flop from Laird in this situation. You know, Obviously, there's the, the injury scenario, which I don't like yeah. to talk about, but it's obviously possible. But let's assume he stays healthy. I think it's very unlikely that he kills you, which makes me kind of excited
1: to play him. So I think the way that I view Laird is the workload is going to be good enough that even with a lack of efficiency, you could possibly get a ceiling type performance. Yeah. The 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 thing that you want to be cognizant of is how much ownership is there. Um if there's a ton of of ownership on a player, then you have to you have to think through how likely are they to get a ceiling performance. And so that's the thing that I'm not sure Laird he, to me, it looks like a player that is going to get volume, but might not be an efficiency monster, especially in this offense. So as a result, I want to be very cognizant of the ownership. I think he's going to be a very good cash game play. I think in tournaments, you just want to be thoughtful on that. The guy to me that is is really going to stand out as a pretty good tournament play is going to be Gasicki. Um, Giants have always struggled against the tight end position. I know like, you know, last week, Zach Ertz got him for two touchdowns and and that's a weird situation because it's freaking Zach Ertz and it's also a team that had no wide receivers. So if anybody was going to get him, it basically was tight ends. But just in general, historically, the Giants have been vulnerable to the tight end position. The the injuries to the wide receiver position are going to make it difficult for Ryan Fitzpatrick to have faith in kind of the new guys that are coming out. I think you'll see a lot of Gesicki opportunities. And I don't think you'll see a ton of ownership because I think Laird is going to be played. And I think if I think if one of Hearns or, or Parker are available, I think those guys might be played a little bit. So I think Gesicki might fly under the radar a little bit. Um, I'm fairly interested in him. And then on the Giants side, I think you know this is one of the better matchups you'll get all year for Saquon Barkley. We did not see the target share spike that we hope to see with Eli Manning at quarterback. We still don't know who will be quarterback this week. Um, but I think you can play. I think you can pretty much play any of these giants guys. I probably, uh, I would not stack Eli Manning, but I would consider stacking Daniel Jones, um, in this game. And then I think you can play this in you know, this game with runbacks with Laird or Gesicki. Um, I'm just more likely to stack the giant side than I am the dolphin side, but this game is interesting to me. I think both of these defenses are very vulnerable. We'll have to see what the weather looks like early, early forecasts have it for, um, you know, some, some, uh, wind. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But, um, I'm 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 kind of you know, subtly interested in this game kind of keeping my options open uh, Let's move over to New England visiting Cincinnati uh, Where New England has been grinding the tape all week uh, They are <laughs> nine nine and a half point favorites uh, Against the the Bengals in terms of injury issues Julian Edelman was held out of practice as he continues to deal with knee and shoulder injuries Mom and Sanu was limited Nikhil Harry was also listed on the injury report, but he was a full practice AJ Green still not practicing John Ross limited for Cincinnati you know, from a DFS perspective, Ricky, I'll be honest, this game does not intrigue me very much. Uh, are you going to be on it? I am not. The only reason I was excited to talk about this game is so I could ask if you've seen the movie
3: Argo. I have. That was basically what the report seemed like to me. Is like They had a Ben Affleck there like acting like they were filming at a Cincinnati Bengals game, except in this one there was an unhappy ending for the heroes. So I just wanted to make the Argo reference. But besides that, I really don't like much. I mean, you know, you've got this decent total for New England. They have not been running like a fully functioning machine. And you look at the price tags and they're all negative values. Like The only thing I think I have legit interest in is the New England defense.
1: Yeah, I think New England defense is playable. I think Sony Michelle and Fanduel is playable, but it's been tricky because they've been mixing Rex Burkhead in a bit more. So it's going to be harder. Oh, Rex Burkhead revenge game for those uh, out there on narrative street. Forgot about that one. Um, but I, I think it's it's tough. You know, when they're mixing carries. But I think you know Cincinnati has been vulnerable against the run all year. New England's obviously struggled offensively. I think this is a situation where they just kind of try to grind this game out i think michelle is viable in gpps i think new england defense is viable in gpps outside of that i'm probably not playing that game um at all on the cincinnati side joe mixon's been getting an insane workload of late but i just i can't play a running back on a team with like a 15 implied total um john ross is really cheap and he can break a big play but i do not trust him getting off against the new england secondary so yeah, I'm probably on Sonny Michel on FanDuel a little bit in GPP, small percentage play there, uh, Patriots defense, and that'll probably do it for me. Uh, let's keep it moving as we as we try to grind our way through these 13 games. Um, we're now into the 4 o'clock games where Minnesota visits the Chargers. Um, in terms of injury situations here, Alexander Madison mispracticed on Wednesday due to an ankle injury. He's expected to play on Sunday, so no changes to projections there yet. We'll have to figure that out. Um, but the bigger news is that Minnesota sa- sounds like they're going to get back Adam Thielen, um, which we've had some some fits and starts where we thought he was going to come back, but it's it's not the case. Uh, it hasn't been the case Yet, it looks like it's going to be the case this week. In terms of the Chargers, they're pretty healthy. They only played three quarters of football last week, so they got a little bit of time off in that Jacksonville game. Uh, Mike Williams was limited in practice on Wednesday, but otherwise everybody's healthy here. From a DFS perspective, though, honestly, this game's a tough one for me to get excited about. Uh, the Chargers offense has been really spread out with all the skill talent that they have lately. you are relying on a lot of efficiency in big plays, which you got from Mike Williams and Austin Eckler last week. Um, but it's a really tough matchup against Minnesota. And then Minnesota with Adam Thielen coming back, pretty hard to get excited about them. I guess Thielen's got a pretty good price tag on DraftKings, um, but not not an outstanding total here. Are you going to be playing much of this game, Ricky?
3: No, because the piece I want to be excited about is Adam Thielen. And you look at this Chargers team, they've been really strong against opposing receivers. The third fewest fantasy points allowed to the position. We're just not sure if Thielen is fully healthy, if he'll be on any kind of a pitch count there's there's a bunch of issues that could arise there the price tag is good I still am open to having some Adam Thielen shares but I need some more information before I can feel good about having him in like a single entry or anything and honestly I don't even think that's where I would play him I think it's more of just an MME
1: guy. All right. Uh, yeah, I think maybe a little bit of Dalvin Cook, but you know, not super excited. I like the price on Fanduel a lot more. On Fanduel, I'll probably play some Dalvin Cook, but just not a not a great spot with Minnesota's offense kind of getting a key piece back and everybody priced up around it. Uh, let's move on to Cleveland traveling to Arizona. Cleveland slight favorites on the road here in terms of injury situations here. Uh, several limited participants for Cleveland, Odell Odo Beckham Jr. with a growing injury, Jarvis Landry with a hip injury, limited. Uh, David Njoku also limited with a knee injury, so a lot of pass-catching options there for Baker Mayfield were all limited in Wednesday's practice. On the Arizona side of the ball, Andy Isabella and Christian Kirk were both limited participants. Uh, Christian Kirk with an ankle issue there, so certainly some issues to to concern ourselves with. Pretty high total here, you know, 48 in Arizona, controlled conditions. Um, Ricky, this game have your attention? Absolutely it does. Uh, I was kind of shocked, by
3: the way, I don't know why I'm leading with this, but I was kind of shocked to see that Njoku only 37.5% of the snaps last week. So obviously when you play Arizona, the first place you look is tight ends, and I don't think that's the part of this Cleveland team that excites me this week. I think it's the condensed nature of their wide receivers and just how All the targets seem to roll through them. It's it's another Baker Mayfield week for me, Drew. And the last one went pretty well. Uh, We hadn't been excited for him for a while. I think against Arizona, who's a defense that is definitely susceptible via the air, that I feel good once again them coming into like you mentioned these controlled environments and having just the condensed nature of this passing game that you don't really have to guess the one guy who I think could be you know throw off the stack a little bit is if they do look to target the tight end in the red zone and I think Njoku could steal a touchdown so if you wanted to mix and match your stacks with maybe one of the receivers and throw him in just in case he, he does catch a touchdown I'm okay with it but I think for the most part Baker Mayfield Jarvis Landry Odell Beckham are double that you have to have interest in. And this is going to be one of my highest ownership stacks of the entire weekend just because I know where the volume is going, or at least I think I know.
1: Yeah, I think I think based on what we've seen to this point in the year, we feel pretty confident that we think we know. My concern is just late in the season when these teams, you know, have less to play for, and Odell Beckham's got, you know, these murmurs about not being interested in playing there, and he's playing through injuries and whatnot. I'm just a little bit concerned that. You know the the rug gets pulled out from under us. The good news here is the price tags are, are really really affordable. Um, six thousand seven hundred for Landry, six thousand four hundred for Beckham, five thousand five hundred for Kirk. Uh, they, they the the you know the stacks with the bringbacks kind of form themselves there with Mayfield, Landry, Beckham bring it back with Christian Kirk kind of called a day. I want to see where ownership is on this before I get too excited about it though because I think that's that's going to be the key for this game just because when two teams have nothing to play for. I'm a little bit worried about investing heavily uh, late in the season at high ownership. So that's the thing that I'll be monitoring during the week. But I think, you know, from a pace perspective, from a game environment, controlled conditions, I think it's one that you certainly want to uh, keep in consideration. Just keep an eye on the ownership projections. Uh, I'll tackle that on Saturday in terms of how I'm playing it on our premium podcast at Daily Roto. All right. Jaguars traveling to Oakland. Jaguars, six and a half point underdogs here. Uh, Jaguars are just, I mean, they have been so bad of late, uh, so many injuries, and now DJ Shark uh, was unable to practice. It sounded like he was going to be lost for the season, but they're saying they're going to let him travel and have a game-time decision. I have no idea why they would do that uh, at this point in the season, so we're not expecting DJ Shark to play. D.D. Westbrook was also limited. Um, they had some guys, uh, Seth DeValve came back from an oblique injury, but in general, like their defense has been so banged up. On Oakland's side, I think the injury issue that's really the one to pay attention to is Josh Jacobs, who, you know, said he's going to play this week. Uh, He was limited in uh, practice on Wednesday. If he doesn't play, DeAndre Washington saw a huge, huge workload last week, Um, a much bigger workload than Josh Jacobs has been getting, especially in the passing game as well. And was dominant really with it Um, he's 4,700 and against Jacksonville's defense who's been getting murdered on the ground of late uh, I would like him quite a bit even at uh, 7k for Josh Jacobs I think he would be in play um, if you got word that he was going to get a full workload which is something we're not projecting currently we're projecting a little bit more of a split Um, but Ricky are you are you in on this game?
3: So, I'm in specifically on one piece, and when I was doing research last night, I thought that piece was going to be D.D. Westbrook on the run back, because I just assumed the volume would be there, Uh, you know, that just is the logical way to go. I like Chris Conley, 3,600 on DraftKings, and... You know, you think about it. D. D. Westbrook was already getting a decent share here. Chris Conley's the one moving up the ladder. We have him projected for over a twenty percent target market share. But I looked at this Raiders defense and the highest scoring receivers against this defense. Here's the four highest scores: A. J. Brown, who you've mentioned, is basically like Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill was on this list. Robbie Anderson and then Keenan Allen. And I think the guy who doesn't fit there is Keenan Allen. It's mostly been the ones who have had success against this defense, the guys to take the top off. And to me, that's not D.D. Westbrook in this offense. That's the Chris Conley slash D.J. Chark kind of talent here. And Chris Conley's the cheaper one. So to me, it's like a no-brainer that you look at the the, the skill set correlation there. You look at the price tag. You look at uh, the the projection in targets for the price tag i really like chris conley even as a one-off you know in lineups to fit more expensive players we've kind of talked about a few cheap receivers so far of the ones we have talked about i think conley's number one on my list
1: all right well, look at that a nice little gvv take from ricky uh, chris conley i don't think he'll be heavily owned so i think that's a pretty interesting one um this game is not stackable to me um i'm definitely not interested in the jacksonville side their offense has been kind of inept Uh, On the Oakland side, I don't feel good. Like Carr's price is fine. I don't feel good enough, enough about who I can pair him with. I could play him with Darren Waller as like a single stack, but I don't feel good enough about Tyrell Williams volume So I'm having i I'm having a hard time double stacking I don't feel good enough about Jacksonville's offense kind of keeping the game going back and forth So I think this is more of a correlated skill players game for me And that's where Chris Conley would come in when on lineups where you know I'm using Darren Waller or one of the running backs uh, perhaps for Oakland I would be more interested in kind of a Chris Conley I think he is fine as a one-off just because I think what you're saying conceptually makes sense if DJ Shark is out uh, Oakland is beaten kind of down the field. Um, think those things make sense, and the price tag is good. Uh, certainly not 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 a cash game play uh, for me in in this game unless unless Josh Jacobs sits, and then you've got DeAndre Washington. I think Waller is okay, but I think there's probably other spots that I'd rather attack. Uh, moving on to San Francisco and Atlanta. San Francisco double digit favorites here at home. Uh, in terms of injury situation here. Uh, Devonta Freeman uh, was a limited part uh, well was mispractice excuse me on Wednesday I think that's more of a maintenance thing But it is with a knee issue and he's been a guy who's kind of battle injuries all year So we'll have to monitor that Julio Jones was a limited participant Atlanta lost Calvin Ridley due to IR uh, last week in in the uh, mass um, Murder of the wide receiver position last week that happened in week 14 where kind of everybody went down uh, on the 49er side uh, Not too many injuries here uh, they did place Marquise Goodwin on IR, but I don't think he's he hasn't really been playing, so uh, nothing to really concern ourselves with. It does sound like there's been some reports around San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan basically saying his hand has been forced by Rohim Mostert in terms of you yeah. know they want to they want to spread the carries around, but Mostert is playing so well that they they're they feel like they have to give him the carries. San Francisco's offense, I think, is very likely to be successful here, but I honestly, they are one of the toughest offenses for me to invest in because they can break off such big plays with guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Mostert and Debo Samuel and George Kittle, but their offense is so spread out that it's always hard for the projections to kind of get there. I think I will have some of them on this slate, but I think it will be individual plays. I don't think it will be stacks. I do not trust Atlanta's offense to be able to keep this game kind of moving at a a faster pace.
3: Yeah, I can identify the guys that I want bits and pieces of, but I agree with you. Because they're so spread out, there's not like a logical like Jimmy Garoppolo plus two pass catchers that I feel great about, especially because I think they're obviously a run focused offense and they've got three backs that they could rely on and now they say Mostert is the guy the question is will there be enough touches because last week he supposedly forced their hand he touched the ball 12 times and to me I want guys touching the ball more than that now this is one of the best rushing offenses and the most rushing centric offenses so you know, I think that makes the case stronger for Mostert. But every time you think you know these three-headed, you know, backfields, it feels like it changed. So I feel like there's still a like legit level of volatility here with Mostert. Definitely a guy I want some exposure to. You know, I was a big fan of Tevin Coleman in weeks past before he handed over the torch. Yep. He's just not a guy that I want to take a heavy, heavy position on just in case things do hit the fan. The other guys for sure. Debo Samuel, who looks like they're using in all sorts of roles. I mean, Emmanuel, Sanders, and Kittle. I think my, my order of preference there would be Kittle, Debo, Samuel, Emmanuel, Sanders. But I just don't – I'm not 100% sure. Kittle plays a position that I need him the most at. When you look at you know the other players at the position – It's just not an amazing week for tight end, so Kittle is amongst the top values at the position. But, yeah, I mean, not a full game stack for me. I know San Francisco's defense looked awful last week. They were in the Superdome against a pretty good offense. I don't expect any of that this week, so not really excited about Atlanta.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think Kittle, you know, at a thin tight end position is certainly in play. Man, um, Debo Samuels looked really good this year and I got that situation really wrong in preseason. I really thought Marquise Goodwin was going to be a great play in best ball leagues because of his ability to stretch the field because of where he was drafted the year before in terms of his uh, rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo and because Debo Samuel was not seeing first-team snaps in the preseason, uh, Debo Samuels made me look very foolish uh, during the course of the years. He's played very, very well. The challenge is obviously just the volume. It's very difficult to get volume from the San Francisco passing offense. Uh, so it's probably Kittle for me. And maybe a sliver of Emmanuel Sanders or Debo Samuel or Mostert, but not a ton, which which is always concerning given this team has the highest implied total on the slate at 29. All right, final game of uh, this 13-game extravaganza. The Rams travel to Dallas here. Rams favorite on the road uh, going into Dallas, and I think you know Dallas has really hurt their reputation the last few weeks with how they've played. In terms of injury issues, uh, just one player missed practice on Wednesday for the Rams. It was Gerald Everett. Uh, obviously, they have not missed him. Tyler Higbee's played great in his absence uh, from the Cowboys side of the ball. Uh, linebacker Sean Lee and Leighton Vanderash were the only two players who did not participate in practice. Uh, Michael Bennett, Lyle Collins, Jeff Heath, Byron Jones, uh, Zach Martin, and Tony Pollard were all limited participants. So, you know, from a from a skill position player injury, both of these teams were fairly static. I think the big thing that, you know, came away from last week for me was the Rams personnel usage was very, very different than what we've seen historically. We did not see Cooper Cup on the field very much at all. Uh, they went to a lot of these two wide sets with Josh Reynolds and Robert Woods, who are their best run blockers and uh, and, and use heavier uh, sets with the tight ends. The Higby played 97% of snaps, Woods 98%, Cooper Cup 28%, uh, wow. Brandon Cooks 38% of snaps. Um, so that's interesting because you know we haven't seen that before. We have seen you know uh, the the snaps for Higby and Everett kind of on the rise, but we hadn't seen Cup uh, and Cooks kind of get decimated on the snap share that way. It's just one week. I don't know if I want to make a huge deal of it, but it is making me more. It, it it does make me pause a little bit more in terms of investing in like a Cooper Cup. I think the guy I'm most interested in this game, uh, from the Rams side of the ball is Robert Woods and Todd Gurley. Gurley's usage is back to like Gurley from last year, another situation where, you know, I definitely messed up in best ball season where I felt like Malcolm Brown at this time of the year would be the guy because I didn't think Gurley's knees would hold up. Um they figured it out with Gurley played eighty percent of the snaps last week and had one of his biggest workloads of the season.
3: Yeah, I, I think it does give me pause for Cooper cup, obviously. And you look at the susceptibility of the Dallas defense. It kind of works too perfectly with the guys who played the big snaps last week. This has been a worse defense against outside receivers than against slot receivers. It's been a pretty good slot defense. So would it make sense for them to use a ton of Cooper cup in this matchup? Robert Woods is the correlation play there. And they've quietly been a bottom 10 tight end defense. And you said Tyler Higby, 97% of the snaps went over hundred yards again. Uh, so it just makes too much sense for those guys to be the guys again. But logically, is not always how the NFL works. It could have just been a game plan thing, and you could you know, obviously see them revert back to more receivers this week. I happen to like a lot of Brandon Cooks and Tyler Higbee this week, if only for the correlation pur- purposes, knowing there's some volatility with the play calling. Then the Dallas side, I mean, this Rams defense I respect, but you've got them projecting for 63 plays this week. And, you know, they put 400 yards on the Bears last week. So I think there's obviously a path to success. Dak Prescott, only 6,300. Of the quarterbacks in this game, I feel better about him. And then I think I would be running it back with one of the guys you feel good about with the Rams. Assuming that they're playing from catch up, you know, playing catch up, that could mean more passing yards for Dak Prescott than even Jared Goff. So it is a game that I'm at least mildly interested in.
1: Yeah. I'm like the price tags are okay on the Cowboys guys. I uh, don't mind Michael Gallup. I think that'll come with low ownership. Um, but I'm not super excited about this game from a stack perspective. I think I like the defenses a little bit more than I like the offenses here. And I think both teams are going to lean on the run a little bit more. So this again might be an another kind of correlated skill player game for me, as opposed to the quarterbacks involved. Um, yeah, I have a hard time getting around golf and and, and Dak, I don't mind. I do. I do agree with you that I like Dak a little bit more than golf. But I think in general, um, it's a game that I I don't think I'll have a huge position in. Um, I think the games I'm most excited about this week are probably that Tennessee Houston game, Tampa Bay Detroit. Miami and the Giants and and that Cleveland-Arizona game. And this all depends on kind of how ownership stacks out on these games. But uh, early on, those are the games that I'm most excited about this week. So, Ricky, any final thoughts before uh, we leave the people here for Week 15?
3: yeah lots of chris conley this week i can't stress that enough i love him this week and if you're looking for ways which you will be when you, you play around with roster construction i've kind of been doing it during the podcast you're gonna need cheap play somewhere tight end is certainly one way to go but if you fit both of them i think you'll you'll kind of love the direction you can take it with multiple superstars alongside it so uh, i don't often feel this good about a cheap receiver so i just wanted to kind of reiterate
1: all right, there we have it. Uh, Chris Conley uh, at Ricky when it goes uh, disastrously <laughs> wrong or, or, or incredibly great. Uh, either way, I just get in those mentions um, at, at uh, our Sanders DFS. Um, all right, Ricky, uh, that'll do it for us. Uh, did I get that Twitter handle right? Because I just said it off memory. I want to make sure. I did. You did. All right, good. All right, uh, that'll do it for us for this week 15 edition of the Sports Grid Fantasy Football <laughs> Podcast, the flagship edition. Uh, make sure to tune in on Friday as Davis Matic. Uh, goes around the NFL with a guest and gives his takes on his picks against the spread. If you are enjoying all of the free content we're putting out on this Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast Network, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, Those those ratings and the reviews really help keep us uh, being able to do this for free. So for Ricky Sanders, for myself, Drew Dinkmeyer, I want to wish you guys the best of luck in all your games in Week 15. We'll be back Week 16 next Thursday, December 19th, to break it all down for you. Best of luck, everyone.